Like you have the the central bankers saying that we got to fix inequality, but you were the morons created in the first place. Whether it's Fauci admitting in emails that he was aware masks don't work, or admitting he knew gain of function research was going on in China, well, I mean he should know because he was the one funding it. Or whether it was Bitcoin supposedly being hacked by the FBI to recover the pipeline hacker funds, or Janet Yellen going from no inflation to inflation is transitory to inflation is good, seemingly at no time at all, we've got a lot to cover. This is Tim and John's show, episode 41. I'm Tim Pichot with the Liberty Advisor, joined by the one and only John Snice in the Economic Truth, and of course, Arthur Diamond Hands. So what we're going to do today is we are going to get right into these articles, trying to actually get out of uh, speaker view over here. But the first thing I wanted to talk about was this colonial pipeline hack. So we're going to go to the article over here from Zero Hedge, the colonial pipeline hack, the Russians and the FBI's ransom grab, what really happened. And the media wants to make it out to believe that the FBI hacked Bitcoin and can just take anyone's funds when the reality is, is that the, they never had Bitcoin in the first place. And, and I'm going to put on my conspiracy theorist hat. And honestly, I don't I think this was all some sort of inside job. I think either it was like the FBI doing the whole thing to begin with. And I mean, think about it. OK, four million dollars or four point five million. Let's round up to five. Five million dollars. What's five million dollars to the government? I mean, nothing. I mean, a microsecond, nanosecond of spending. I mean, it's basically nothing, but they were able to accomplish so much. I mean, they're either going to use this to either get some more funding to, you know, bolster more infrastructure spending to the tune of billions of dollars, or they're going to be able to, you know, demonize Bitcoin all in the process of, oh, look at this. We were able to take all these hackers funds and we're not going to reveal the methodology. And you could tell that these, you know, everything that they're saying is basically written for like 80 year olds who have no idea how Bitcoin works. But, uh, um... I got a thing that somebody said, and I believe that they uh, believe that the private keys came from actual, uh, actually them talking to Coinbase and then asking for this wallet address that they saw stole it. Uh, so I, I don't know. No like way. That, it was that, it was that coin. It was that Coinbase is where they. Well, that's what I heard, anyways. From uh, it was actually. Uh, uh, what's his name now? Uh, oh my goodness, I'm I'm terrible with names uh, right now, but. Uh, it was it was an alternative media guy um, that uh, he runs uh, uh, runs a platform. Uh, it's Agoria. What's his name now? Come on, help Ben me. Swan. Ben, ben Swan, Swan for okay. crying out loud. Yeah. And anyways, he he was uh, saying that that was a, that there was rumors that that have happened. And of course, that you comes know I heard them to, say it was uh, on a server in Northern California. Wall. I heard them say yeah. it was on a server in Northern California, and so yeah. is Coinbase. But why? The thing is, if you're some sophisticated hacker. And you're gonna steal five million dollars. You're not gonna have like a hundred dollar hardware wallet, or you're not gonna go, you know, do no, something, course, yeah. put it on a paper totally wallet stupid. that yeah. doesn't even cost anything. You're gonna go and leave it and put it on. I mean, that's like the dumb. It's like stealing a car and then like leaving the keys in the car with the windows down. Yeah, you would you would like, shuffle the the stolen crypto into several wallets or do whatever. Right? Like it's obviously like a hacker on that scale. Like, how stupid can you be? They were either like, trying just, to be caught yeah. or this was just all an inside job right from the, yeah, be- be. Right from the beginning. And there's some backroom deal with Colonial Pipeline going on. Or maybe they're just I – mean, I'm not even saying that what? Colonial is giving in on this. They were just, you know, they, uh, they've got maybe duped by somebody. But there's absolutely no way – that any sophisticated hacker would go and put it on a custodial wallet exchange. I mean, it's, it's laughable. <laughs> and if you don't know what we're talking about at home is basically you can either have crypto where it's like you have it, it's safe, secure on your own hardware wallet, 
or you can have it on an exchange. And so if you were some, uh, you know, Russian deep state hacker, you would go and put it on an exchange. No, not any exchange. You'd go put it on an exchange in America that would then have the full force of the FBI to then go subpoena it and then boom, take your funds in five seconds. I mean, it, this is the most laughable thing ever. I mean, it's like you go and you rob a bank and then you go like leave an entire trail of like $20 bills back to your house so, with the door wide open. I mean, yeah, because, uh, and then you're like, Oh, they used a block explorer to go and chase this down. I mean, do you know how hard it is to go use a block explorer? Uh, you go on DuckDuckGo, you type in block explorer, and then you mm-hmm. click on the very first link that's there and up oh, you've got block explorers where let's just go on any transaction. Yeah. We can go click yeah, on go. this one. Oh, it's there's like, oh, a wallet that's address. A wallet. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there's okay. Let's go click on another address. Go see where all the, uh, all the previous transactions where, where they have come in. Oh, here's some inputs. I mean, it, it's a whole thing. You can see, you know, all the transactions that ever happened yeah. from one wall. I mean, this is so unbelievable, cartoonish, amateur propaganda that it's not even, I mean, it's, 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 it's just a complete bastardization of Bitcoin yeah. to basically idiots that know nothing about Bitcoin. Oh, see, look, I, I told you Bitcoin could be hacked. It was only a matter of time before it was hacked when that was. Well, not well you know what? You know what this smells of, Tim? It smells uh, of the World Economic Forum. Remember, they warned about a hack, uh, like all this uh, computer virus that's going to take off. Like it, it should, like they put this out and. And it's a video actually of it uh, saying that, oh, this is the new danger of the world, like a computer virus that will be even worse than COVID uh, and, and so on. And it looks like we have the predisposed, uh, you know, attacks starting to happen and they're starting to like get that into the news cycle. There was another meat packing plant uh, that got attacked. Uh, but what's interesting is uh, what's interesting is that both of these happened the two times I've taken my RV out. So both times that I've gone on my two inaugural trips and I've been off grid, there's been some sort of like hack on the grid. So maybe yeah. it's me from the middle of the woods. So it's like both well, times so, okay, the internet so, and I'm uncut, cut off from the world that both of these hacks have occurred. So. Well, so, so actually talking about being off the grid, that's a perfect segue into what I wanted to say after that. Actually, you know, if you want to have a vulnerable infrastructure like a, a water plant or you want to have a, a energy nuclear plant or anything that produces energy or anything that, you know, that are of critical infrastructure and that are vulnerable, why the hell are you putting it uh, with access to the Internet? Why aren't you building like I'm, I'm a technician. I could, I could build you. I could build you a system that would never be on the internet by just using the same infrastructure, but you would never hook it up to the internet. Like, why the heck are you, uh, you morons, like hooking it up to the internet? Why are you not running your own? Like uh, a lot of hydro companies run their own fiber lines. Why are they using that without an internet connection? Don't have your stupid employees wanting to have Facebook. So that way you have to have it hooked up and that's how they get in. You know, it's a simple, like, it's a simple when I deal with routers, I just go up and look like, okay, I got to try to get into this router. What is the standard password and usernames? And then you find them. And, and a lot of times they're not never been protected, right? Like, uh, it's very simple. Solar wind that hack was like a stupid, you know, basic password that was never changed. Uh, so, again, you know, you could easily or like John protect Podesta, your infrastructure. Password was password. I mean, yeah, but you could easily protect your infrastructure by taking away that router, that gateway into your system, and having a total off the grid network that you could still work on remotely, but you would never, uh, it would never touch the internet itself. Like it would be a separate interlocked uh, network. 
that's totally possible but nobody thinks that far uh when it comes to the government because they want just like i remember was out in norway we were running fiber optics to uh tons of water plants and, and all of them are connected to the internet uh you could get in there and stop, uh, you know, anything you could. Totally well, that happened sabotage. recently in Florida where I believe like someone was able to get into one of the water supplies and add like other uh, toxic chemicals to yeah. the water, which, you know, why are they adding? To- oh, we're just adding small amounts of fluoride and small amounts of toxic chemicals to the water. Why are they adding any of this at all? But I do want to shift gears right now yeah. <laughs> and talk about uh, this really great article out of Zero Hedge called One Bank Goes Apocalyptic. Inflation is about to explode, leaving global economies sitting on a time bomb. And this is... Uh, oh, guess who? Guess who? Who is it? <laughs> who is it? So this is inflation, the defining macro story of the decade. A must-read report written by Deutsche Bank's global head of research, David Folkerts Lando, co-authored by Peter Hopper and Jim Reed. He's got some quotes here. Uh, this is from Reagan in 78. Inflation is as violent as a mugger, as frightening as an armed robber, and as deadly as a hitman. Joe Biden from this year. A job is a lot more than a paycheck. It's about dignity. It's about respect. It's about being able to look your kid in the eye and say everything will be okay. Too many people can't do it, and it's got to change. Come on, man. Not just out of that. Come on, man. <laughs> Janet Yellen from this year. Neither the president-elect nor I proposed this relief package without an appreciation for the country's debt burden. But right now, with interest rates at historic lows, the smartest thing we can do is act big. Jerome Powell. During this time of reopening, we are likely to see some upward pressure on prices, but those prices are likely to be as temporary as they are associated with the reopening process. And of course, Larry Summers from this year, I think this is the least responsible macroeconomic policy we've had in the last 40 years. And this guy, Larry Summers, complete scumbag, did a whole thing on him uh, when I made a video about the Clintons, if you guys want to know more about him. But anyways, the above quotes highlight the U.S. macro policy and indeed the very role of government in the economy is undergoing the biggest shift in direction in 40 years. In turn, we are concerned that it will bring about uncomfortable levels of inflation. It is no exaggeration to say we are departing from neoliberalism that the days of the new liberal policies that began in the Reagan era. And yeah, Reagan did double the size of government. So all the conservatives that love him, I mean, double the size of government. It made the one that had like the Vaccine Exemption Act in 86. Uh, Anyways, I'm digressing. Are clearly fading in the rearview mirror. The effects of the shift are being compounded by political turmoil in the U.S. and deeply worrying geopolitical risk. As we step into the new world, we are no longer sure how much of what we thought we understood about financial and macroeconomics is still valid. Despite the shift in priorities, central banks must still prioritize inflation. Indeed, history has shown that the social costs of significantly higher inflation and greatly expanded debt servicing obligations make it hard, if not impossible, to reach social goals that the U.S. administration, among others, is keen to achieve. We fear that the vulnerable and disadvantaged will be hit first and hardest by mistakes in policy. The foundation for today's paradigm shift was laid last decade after the global financial crisis concerns turned to high and rising levels of sovereign debt. Market fears of peripheral Eurozone countries led governments to preemptively move towards fiscal consolidation before bond market vigilantes could force them. The effect of austerity was worsened as banks and consumers simultaneously tried to repair their balance sheets, hence low interest rates and asset purchases continued even as economies were relatively stagnant and inflation stayed low. The pandemic has accelerated the shift in thinking sovereign debt has risen to levels unimaginable a decade ago with large industrial countries exceeding red line levels of 100% of GDP. 
Yet there is little serious concern about debt sustainability on the horizon from investors, governments, or international institutions. Similarly, on inflation, the vast majority of central banks and economists believe any rise in prices away from historical levels of debt the last decade will be transitory. It is assumed that baseline effects, one-offs, and structural forces will continue to suppress prices. So two of the biggest historic constraints on macroeconomic policy, inflation and debt sustainability, are increasingly perceived as non-binding. In turn, the removal of these constraints has opened the door for new goals for macro policy, which go far beyond simply stabilizing output across the business cycle. This changing approach to macro policy has been formalized in the Federal Reserve's operating procedures, making a broader interpretation of its mandate possible. Unlike in previous eras, when it was common practice to preempt inflation overshoots with higher rates, today's Fed said they would want to see actual progress, not just forecast progress. The new average inflation targeting approach only increases its tolerance for inflation. Almost done here. In short, we are witnessing the most important shift in global macro policy since the Rager-Volcker axis 40 years ago. Fiscal injections are now off the charts at the same time as the Fed's modus operandi has shifted to tolerate higher inflation. Never before have we seen such coordinated expansionary fiscal and monetary policy. This will continue as output moves above potential. This is why this time is different for inflation. Even if some of the transitory inflation ebbs away, we believe price growth, sorry, uh, in conclusion, we worry that inflation will make a comeback. Few, it's funny how this has come from Deutsche Bank. Few still remember how our societies and economies were threatened by high inflation 50 years ago. The most basic laws of economics, the ones that have stood the test of time for over a millennium, have not been suspended. An explosive growth in debt financed largely by central banks is likely to lead to higher inflation. We worry that the painful lessons of an inflationary past are being ignored by central bankers, either because they really believe that this time is different or they have bought into a new paradigm that low rates are here to stay or they are protecting their institutions by not trying to hold back a political steamroller. Whatever the reason, we expect inflationary pressures to reemerge as the Fed continues with its policy of patience and its stated belief that current pressures are largely transitory. It may take a year longer until 2023, but inflation will reemerge. And while it is admirable that the patience is due to the fact that the Fed's priorities are shifting towards social goals, neglecting inflation leaves global economies sitting on a time bomb. It is a scary thought that just as inflation is being deprioritized, fiscal and monetary policy is being coordinated in ways the world has never seen. Recent stimulus has been extraordinary in economic forecasting, which is difficult at the best of times, is becoming harder by the day. Fractured politics amplifies the problem. Needless to say, the range of global outcomes over the years is coming wide. When central banks are eventually forced to act on inflation, they will find themselves, if a difficult, if not untenable position, I'd say impossible, they will be fighting the increasingly ingrained perception that high levels of debt and higher inflation are a small price for achieving progressive political, economic, and social goals. That will make it politically difficult for societies to accept higher unemployment in the interest of fighting inflation. Eventually, though, any social priorities that policymakers have will be set aside if inflation returns in earnest. Rising prices will touch everyone. Touch everyone. It sounds like Joe Biden. The effects could be devastating, particularly for the most vulnerable in society. Sadly, when central banks do act at this stage, they'll be forced to abrupt policy change, which will only make it harder for policymakers to achieve the social goals that our societies need. 
Low, stable inflation and historically low rates have been the glue that have held together macro policy for the last three decades. If, as we expect, this starts to unravel over the next year or two, then policymakers will face the most challenging years since the Volcker-Reagan period in the 1980s. And, you know, I, I usually don't go on and read, you know, a huge, uh, you know, article like that. And I did, uh, right. you know, put, putting John to sleep over there. But, you know, this is such an important article from the standpoint of, you know, it's basically inflation is not going to be a problem until it is a problem. I'd argue it already is a problem. And they're just, you know, we have inflation. It's in it's in uh, financial assets that aren't really necessarily counted. It's I mean, they don't count things like food and energy and they missed real estate cost. Food. Yeah, the real estate. That's exactly where I was going with that. And and what are they going to do to fight inflation, raise rates? But what I mean, they, they couldn't even raise rates past, you know, two and a quarter. The last go around in the greatest economy in the history of the world before they had to cry uncle and start, you know, having tens of billions of dollars of bond purchases a month after they were trying to sell bonds. There's no way they can ever put this genie back in the bottle without destroying everything. But the point may be to destroy everything. So in that way, you then get people to beg for help in air quotes. And then that help will then come from the form of, uh, digital currency, a GovCoin that we've covered numerous times in the show before that will then also come in the form of the GovCoin being tied to universal basic income, being tied to different social goals. And if you don't go and get the vaccine, then you're not going to go get your X amount of thousands of dollars per month. And then it's, and, and there's really, there's no way they can ever, I mean, in the eighties or sorry, seventies, Volcker was able to raise rates up to like 18%. I mean, today they couldn't raise it to two. They can't raise it to like one and a half without everything completely collapsing. Um, well, I, I think we should have a bet uh, on that, Tim. I, I like, I, I believe that they might try, you know, to entail that they're going to taper again, uh, and actually try to raise interest rates. Remember last time, what was it, two point twenty-five or two point five that they ended up at before it all collapsed back on them? Uh, so I, I think this time, I think you're right. Like, uh, it might be even less, like one point twenty-five to one point five, with all the debt that's out there, uh, and. Um, and what's interesting is, <laughs> uh, what's interesting here, and uh, I recently actually got approached by um, uh, the editor of uh, Canadian News at LinkedIn, uh, and asked a question about uh, what what do you think about uh, you know the problems with people going back to jobs, uh, and and I was saying like people were like, well, they need a living wage and all this stuff. Meanwhile, I was there blaming. Uh, inflation, I was like, you give people like all this free money and you expect them to come back to work. You scare them to death with, you know, the COVID uh, virus and, and you expect people to come straight back and like just go back into the workforce. No, they first of all, they want more money because it's uh, they feel it's risky. And and second of all, we can have a living wage that said you could raise it to, you know, 25, 30, 40, 50 dollars. Uh, no matter what you raise it to, then the rest of the population wants their races because they uh, are like, well, I, I need to have like at least uh, a pay raise to get uh, like to uh, like above their level because I'm clearly more skilled than the other one. And, and then secondly, you know, the, the, the problem here is the inflation uh, of the monetary supply. I, I tried to make that point and I was the only one, Tim, out of uh, eight uh, economists that they asked that you know we're blaming inflation uh, on on a lot of this stuff, and and people were just like uh, some people actually got it, but like uh, most people were blaming equality of women in the workforce, you know, uh, change. and all the all the talking points, you know. I saw like 
the, the, the ones to blame here is the government, the central banks, and the banks. They have the one created the inflation that have destroyed purchasing power uh, of the regular employees. So now you have to be two people in order to sustain a, a living, you know, be able to survive. And if you're not, like, I could only imagine, like, me and my wife are fine, but, like, I could only imagine people that are, you know, two people on minimum wage. Like, that'd be insane. How could they survive today? Two people on minimum wage. You know, back in the day, like I remember my uh, my um, father-in-law, he had three kids and his wife was at home and he had a li- he had a living wage. He was fine. That is inflation. You know, it's it's, it's always inflation uh, that are, you know, coming out and, and destroying the day. And then, of course, the saviors are going to be the central banks that create the inflation in the first place. So these guys are morons. Like you have the, the central bankers saying that we got to fix inequality. But you were the morons created in the first place. <laughs> That's so laughable. But nobody gets it. Not even a damn economist here in Canada. I, I haven't heard one yet that could come back and actually, you know, point out that it's the banks and the central banks and the government, you know, printing oblivious amounts of currency that are destroying purchasing power for uh, for the people that they are to blame and not the uh, evil corporations. You know, like if you're gonna raise uh salaries for people you think that that's gonna not go anywhere and cost anything that that's gonna get passed on to everybody like come on we're we're gonna see a lot of more inflation because we got you know the the supply chain is severely depleted with a lot of people working according to covid rules so you might have you know like two-thirds or even a half sometimes of the production that you can get and so the supply is dismal and then on top of that, you get a lot of demand, pent up demand, because people have been on moratoriums, they've been traveling, a lot of savings have, you know, come, are, are uh, you know, um, stored up in the uh, uh, in the monetary system. And when that flushes out, it's like almost like the, uh, it's not similar to the the Weimar hyperinflation, but when that velocity comes back in, the inflation that they talk about, that is when that's the key point. And, and when the point happens, when People uh, at that time, you know, people on minimum wage can't keep up and, and suddenly they can't afford food. You're going to have an Arab Spring on your hands because when over about 60% of the your salary goes to feeding yourself and you can't afford anything else uh, and you're starting to feel like you almost starve, like it's like the Elvis movement. A lot of people there were talking about this because their currency was so destroyed that they couldn't afford to feed themselves on, on these salaries. And they could keep on raising interest rate, no raising minimum wages, but it's like in Venezuela, they raised them 5,000, 10,000% and nothing happened. It just collapsed because trust in the currency is the only one thing that keeps it a bait, Tim. And when that breaks, it's all bets are off and hyperinflation comes pretty down fast. Yeah. One thing I want to point out is I just ran off to uh, my closet. Well, no, I, don't, I want to say I was coming out of my closet, but no, I just came out and ran to my closet real quick to go grab some junk silver. And in 1964, so right now in my hot little hands, I have a dollar 30 worth of dimes, as you guys can see. So, I mean, I've got 13 dimes. Oh, you don't? It's 13 dimes. 40. Come on. You got 13, a lot more in there. 13 dimes. I love the truth, Tim. Got 13 dimes in my hands, my hot little hands from pre 1964. And so, what is dropping over here? But what's important to note about this is in 1964, the dollar, the minimum wage was a dollar 25. So, doesn't how how is anyone going to live off a dollar 25? Well, the silver back or the money back then had 90% silver. So, I just did a quick calculation here. So, 
$1.30 times 0.9. I know I said $1.25, but I didn't have any Oh, nickels. he has a calculator. Holy smokes. $1.30 times 0.9, since it was 90% silver, is, is uh, 1.17 ounces times the spot price of silver right now of $27.91. means that the $1.30 that's in my hands right now is really worth $32.65 per hour. Doesn't that sound more to... like it? Like that's a proper minimum wage. And then, like, right? and then like, that's yeah. not even including like the real spot, or, like, the actual price that you actually buy it from. So I mean, it's yeah. probably more like 40 bucks uh, to actually get just a dollar 30. Now I wonder if it's like legal. If like, if somehow like I could just pay myself in this, be like, Oh, I only made, uh, I only made like $200 this week, but just pay yourself in like, hey, there you go. That, that'd be <laughs> fantastic. Tip. Let, like, let's that, try that to figure something up. There must be, be a loophole. loophole. Be like, I'm only paying myself in junk silver. And then well, I'm I know not doing that, but if you go to the store and try and spend that, even if it's like yeah. a, a gold yeah, Eagle, the, legally they, they give you face value for it, not the melt value. So why, why couldn't you pay yourself? with those units i'm only paying paying myself i'm only paying myself uh minimum wage no ask for commission in in junk silver and then just like face value like what even is i mean they're always like moving the minimum wage but uh, i mean here i think it might be like 11 bucks an hour or something like that but i mean you go and you pay yourself uh you know 11 i mean let's basically multiply the other number by 10 it'd be like 300 bucks an hour you know norway it's 20 bucks like our minimum wage is 20 bucks in Norway, but inflation is through the roof, like in Norway too. So uh, my mom happiest. is really feeling, my mom is really feeling inflation. She's like getting pay raises, but it's not keeping up with inflation. She's like, I'm getting less and less money every year. My, my rent is going up. It's eating me alive. Now for our uh, listeners, Real. I've got an, I've got a meme on the screen where it's a guy putting on, you know, some clown makeup and first goes, there won't be inflation. Then it goes, there is no inflation. He's got a little more makeup on. Then he's got, you know, the almost most of the clown uh, get up on. It says inflation is transitory. And then uh, he's got the full clown outfit on with the nose and says inflation is good. So I just absolutely it's love just this say one. Inflation is hyperinflation or something. Come on. Yeah. So, and then we've got, uh, yeah, I also wanted to point out, you know, a vindicated Rand Paul decimates Fauci over emails. And, you know, basically Fauci, what makes me so mad about Fauci, this. Fauci, delete is- your emails. Didn't you learn from Clinton? <laughs> yeah, that's right. No, no, Clinton didn't delete her emails. Clinton was running a whole separate private yeah. server, so they weren't able to subpoena any of her emails to begin with because yeah. she like somehow accidentally, you know, and then was you know forwarding stuff off yeah. to like a Some Chinese shipping company yeah. too. But I mean, essentially, there is a guy. Maybe maybe Arthur can pull up some of this stuff. But there was this guy Peter Drozik or something like that is, is his name, and he was at this Eco Health Alliance, and Fauci was funding the Eco Health Alliance, and the Eco Health Alliance was funding uh, the Wuhan Institute of Virology to then do gain of function research, where they take uh, you know basically these different viruses from animals, soup them up, and make it so that way it could infect humans. And more than likely, that's where I mean I, I know remember Luke would and I did a video. I mean, one of the videos. Oh, I this found was out on... in Jan. What was it? December, January of like 2019, 2020. Yeah, I and mean, we did uh, a video. Uh, I mean, I didn't start making videos with him until March of uh, 2020. Well, we went from March 2020 and ended at like the last day of April in uh, 2020. Very short lived on yeah. that one. But anyways, uh, you know, one of those videos we made in April, 
it actually was breaking down how this more than likely came from the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And then, oh, you know, feel, you know, I mean, and it's not about being right. It's about, you know, if you know the track record of these guys, of these criminals, of these yeah, exactly. you know, intergenerational, uh, you know, basically organized crime that's going on over here. You, I mean, this is not Fauci's first rodeo screwing the public over and being, you know, the, uh, you know, the yes man to the so-called elite. And so anyways, this guy, so Fauci was out there saying, oh, no, we've never. And he's got, you know, this, you know, draw, but, you know, this, you know, kind of like a founder, founder, whatever, Peter Drossick emails or something. He sent you something. Oh, he sent me something. OK, very cool. So I'll go ahead and take a look at that. I found the guy here. There's some Fox, Baltimore story, NBC News story, Wall Street Journal. Well, it's hard to find it if you search online, even with DuckDuckGo, it's like getting buried recently like a lot right. of information uh there was actually like somebody sent me the but there was the actual email, email so this guy off. paraphrasing yeah. here but this guy had sent an email to fauci as part of the as part of the release that said you know we really appreciate you basically demonizing that one paper that said that it could have came out of wuhan institute of virology and you're such what? a trusted voice it, and, and a trusted voice you know we really want to thank you for doing that for being a bold move because these guys were essentially colluding to uh, get the gain of function research that was banned in America. And then now Fauci is sort of like the firefighter that goes and starts the fire and then tries to put the fire out, except makes the fire worse, but then gets all the credit for being. You well, know, look, at, look at Peter Daszak, Tim. The world. Yeah, Peter Daszak was down with the World Health Organization looking at what was the actual you know, source of the virus. Peter Daszak was on the group itself going down there and fi- finding out. If- did it come from that lab that I funded or did it come from the wet market? Yeah, or did it come from the wet market like 600 yards away? Hmm, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, oh, my God. So, Sorry. Stay informed with conservative. Oh, my God. Damn it. It won't even let me click off of here unless I unless I uh, say I'm a Democrat. Damn it. Okay. <laughs> That's, yeah, screw you, Tucker Carlson. Because um, blah, 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 blah. From my... From my perspective, your comments are brave and coming from your trusted voice will help dispel the myths being spun around the virus's origins. Once this pandemic's over, I look forward to thanking you in person and let you know how important your comments are to us all. Cheers, Peter. And uh, I mean, poor Fauci. Fauci, that was a big ouchie. Fauci has definitely perjured himself, uh, without yeah. a doubt. I mean, to Rand Paul, I mean, the guy yeah. is a complete scumbag to everybody. But anyways, you know, that's just something, you know, wasn't a quick aside that I wanted to talk about. But I mean, it should be, you know, it should be big news and it shouldn't be something that we just forget. But in terms of other big news that we've got going Nobody's on. Nobody's talking about Fauci in Canada. It's like blacklist. They talk about potential gain of function research and potentially coming out of the the Wuhan lab, but the, the 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 odds are extremely extremely minuscule that that would ever happen. That, that was their, uh, and then they stopped. Nobody uh, asked any more questions. So that's how Canadian news are here. Nobody even knows that Fauci is in trouble right now. Yeah, no. And some of this stuff going on in the Bitcoin world. I mean, we just had the Miami Bitcoin yeah. conference that I know. Uh, you know, our friends over at Float were were, were down there. Actually, they were at Shitcoin 2021 to. Uh, you know, do a, a pre-launch of their uh, float token, which uh, is not out yet, but I know I think it's gonna be out in about a month. And I do own some of that as a uh, you know full disclosure. But El Salvador makes Bitcoin legal tender in world's first, 
It will bring financial inclusion, investment, tourism, innovation, economic development for our country. First thing I thought about was tourism. I'm going to go down to El Salvador. Yep. And then, uh, yeah. I mean, basically, I can't find where it says this, but, you know, somewhere in here, I did remember him seeing saying something along the lines of, you know, hey, if, you know, if we just get, you know, a fraction of, you know, the Bitcoin money, then it'll increase our GDP by 25 percent. Uh, I think you know, somebody posted that on our uh, Discord, by the way, somewhere. Yeah. And then we've got, you know, some other, we got corporate Bitcoin investments. Why are multi-billion dollar companies suddenly rushing to Bitcoin? And John, do you want to tell us why they're rushing to Bitcoin? This is one of the articles that you had. Oh, just one thing before I, I found the quote here by Naib Bukele. Uh, it says, Bitcoin has a market cap of $680 billion. If 1% of this is invested in El Salvador, that would increase our GDP by 25%. On the other side, Bitcoin will have 10 million potential new users and the fast growing way to transfer $6 billion a year in remittances. Yeah, I, I, I think it was uh, Jack Mallers that uh, drew attention to this at Bitcoin 2021. And uh, that was a big thing was the remittance. I thought they said there was like 2 million El Salvador citizens living in the U.S. that potentially would want to send money back home. And this using Bitcoin would be a cheaper, more frictionless way than using something like Western Union. Yeah, and, and being on the topic, actually, of El Salvador, El Salvador is the only country in South America that never closed down ever. They, a friend of mine, he's a painter that I know, and he's from El Salvador. He told me that uh, some friends of his showed a, a big street party of 4,000 people down there, and, and nobody's dying in the streets down there. Uh, it's, it's very interesting. Uh, but yeah, El, El Salvador is a hidden gem, by the way. He's, he said to me, like, if you're an expat, like you should definitely like take a look at maybe like even getting it placed on there because he said there's a, a lot of, uh, you know, bad rep about El Salvador. But we're actually like trying to have like we have very reason, good uh, freedoms down there. We can carry whatever guns we want. Uh, and uh, it's a lot more free than you think, he said. Another thing, too, they talk about the Iran-Contra. His grandpa was actually sent uh, to the United States and trained by the CIA uh, to then come back and fight, by the way. So that kind of like, that was a direct connection that you, you don't hear often, by the way. You know, that the Contras were there to, you know, fight uh, off the, the current regime on CIA's behalf. Yeah, and, and sticking with that Miami Bitcoin conference, I, I, I encourage everyone to listen to the speech that Ross Albrecht gave there. I'm not sure if you guys had, had listened to that or not. If you just type in Ross Albrecht Miami yeah. on YouTube, you can find that. And, uh, it, you know, it was a very powerful speech. I mean, he was very, you know, uh, basically apologetic to what he was done, did, and, you know, was basically talking about the naivety of, uh, you know, everything that he did in early days of wanting to basically save the world and, and I'm not sure if you guys know this or not, but I did speak with his mother, Lynn, and uh, she said, uh, told me yesterday that he is now in the shoe for that. So he's in solitary confinement for making, I'm not sure how long he's going to be there, but he is in solitary for making that, uh, ma making that phone call. And, and personally, uh, you know, I don't think anything he said was really that bad. I mean, he didn't have like some hardcore anarchist type perspective from there. I mean, he was 
you know, giving a lot of honest feedback of what was going on and being and saying how he even forgave the people that did this to him. And how do you dare to say that you piece of shit? Go back to prison. And, and, and then he was then he was also, uh, you know, just talking about how he needs to be thankful for everything. And, you know, first he was thankful for, like, you know, the stale air that he gets to breathe and, and some of the water that he gets to drink and just the fact that he's alive. But how it's basically so awful what they are you know doing to him and, and this you know person that you know was a first-time non-violent offender who you know basically was using the powers of bitcoin to help uh you know decentralize the world and so for doing that you know he got double life plus 40 years and you know for anyone that thinks this guy's a monster you know i would really implore you guys to uh you know again i mean i hate you know, directing anyone to YouTube, but, you know, go to Ross Albrecht, Miami. You can find that speech. It's only uh, about 24 minutes long. And, uh, you know, unfortunately for making that, you know, he is in solitary. But, you know, it's the thing is, and the other big part of the speech was talking about freedoms. And, you know, and basically, you know, right now, Ross is not free, obviously, but, you know, we're all not going to be free if it wasn't for people like Ross standing up for this and people like us standing up for this as well. And, you know, and once they institute the digital dollar, once they completely have us by the balls, you know, that we're not going to, no one's going to be free because they're going to, you know, completely, you know, do whatever they need to do to socially engineer us in order to, uh, you know, bring about this, you know, you know, I mean, call it new world order, call it, uh, you know, whatever you want, you know, this, whatever new regime that's going forward, but you know, it's not going to be pretty what they have planned for us. And, uh, and a lot of this has to do with central banking. A lot of this has to do with, you know, all the things that we talk about here on a, you know, whatever basis of videos when we put them out on frequency and mainly that's my fault for, you know, being a little bit too busy over here and also trying to, you know, detach from, you know, the news cycle. Uh, but, you know, moving on here. So John, so what can you tell us about the uh, multi-billion dollar companies rushing to Bitcoin article that you'd sent over? Yeah, no, institutional money are piling into Bitcoin. Uh, a, lot, a lot of them are buying Coinbase, of course. Uh, but there's, uh, uh, you know, what you got to remember, the Coinbase actually have 8,000 institutional uh, clients. Uh, so um, they actually have, a, that's a lot of corporations that have uh, a account at Coinbase that potentially are doing custody or whatever. Uh, you don't see a lot of talk about, uh, you know, the, the corporate holdings. There, there's not too many corporations or, uh, but, you know, they, let's see here, they invested through December. Uh, like there is, um, yeah, no, they're, they're talking about Coinbase here, but uh, it holds about 100 and, no, sorry, now Coinbase is worth 122 billion. It was wrong. We on the, we on the same article. Yeah. Are we on the same article. Corporate Bitcoin. No, sorry. I, I looked up another one to get a different point of view, but it's uh, I couldn't find too much on, on like how much is getting purchased by, uh, you know, corporates. But again, like the move by El Salvador is I don't know if anybody understands how massive that is to actually make, uh, something legal tender. Gold is not even legal tender in most states in the United States. Like it's only a few states that it's actually legal to use gold as a uh, medium of exchange uh, for payments. So this is the, like El Salvador doing that is, I don't, I don't understand. Uh, I don't think people understand how massive that announcement is. Uh, I hate legal tender laws, uh, but you know, the announcement of a government saying that you can now legally use Bitcoin uh, to transact as much as you want that is pretty substantial and they're not a tiny little country either. You know, El Salvador has enough people. Uh, 
And of course, we've got, you know, Kathy Wood here saying that, you know, basically if the S&P 500 corporations were just to put 10% of their balance sheet, I wouldn't say just 10%, but of their balance sheet, then that would add another $400,000 to the price of, of Bitcoin. And then we do yeah, have, so you they're, know, they're bigger than like, they're bigger than six point. Yeah, they're bigger than Norway. So 6.48 uh, million people. By the way, sorry. Go ahead. And then we've got, you know, Michael Saylor over here, who's, you know, Max Kaiser called him the high priest of Bitcoin. And, you know, and one of the things I've heard Michael say is, you know, asset inflation is running 10 to 25% annually is evidenced by sharp increases in the prices of stocks, real estate, commodities, according to him. And basically he said that his company's cash reserves were a melting ice cube because fiat currency is slowly but surely losing its purchasing power. Bitcoin offers a solution being a finite asset with only 21 million BTC to ever be mined into existence. And here is a picture of him with the uh, laser eyes, which is meant to signal, uh, you know, the intent on making Bitcoin an instrument of economic empowerment around the world. And, uh, you know, and, and then this also, you know, but this story then ties into inflation because the average person has, you know, doesn't really have any ways to really fight against inflation unless they own a home. And then, then, but then, you know, but then you're paying more property tax as the yeah, asset so goes up and they, yeah, all that yeah, bracket replacing Bitcoin with cash basically on his balance sheet. That's what he's doing, right? Like yeah. he, he knows what inflation does to the currency supply. And so he's trying to protect himself. It's very simple. And uh, I think a lot will come, but everybody's afraid of getting vilified by the government and coming after by the government, right? So I think there might be a lot of accumulation that are happening behind the scenes. Not a lot of, uh, not a lot of talk about it, right? Uh, I, I did think that a central bank would soon buy. Oh, actually, by the way, Nigeria turned around the 360 on their ban of Bitcoin. So now it's legal again. Uh, so, so Bitcoin actually is uh, legal to use again in Nigeria. It wasn't before. So th again and again, you know, they try to ban it, but then they find out how stupid of an idea that is. And that doesn't ever work. Uh, and I think they need to just under get the understanding that they need to work with Bitcoin <laughs> instead of actually like working against it because a decentralized system, you can't control, you can't stop it. It's like trying to ban BitTorrent. That never has happened. It's live and well now. Uh, and and that will happen with Bitcoin as well. Like it's a it's a, a way of transferring value and storing value for people on a global scale. Like that have never ever happened in history. It's always been blockades, you know, by uh, regulation and by governments and and by the banking system. You know, their uh, their their system. We've always been stuck in their uh, enslavement system, but now. We're free. We invented cryptocurrencies that are decentralized, Bitcoin and a whole wide array of other ones, some pri great privacy coins as well. This is going to be uh, so revolutionary that people don't understand like five to 10 years down the road when the fiat collapses, because with all this government spending that we're seeing around now, like here in Canada, we're still in lockdowns. We, like it's like murdered the economy uh, here in Canada and they expect like everything to come back and well, no, it's it's not like you totally devastated the economy. Like Klaus Schwab would be very proud of guys like Brian Pallister here and and Rob Ford, all these premiers of these provinces, for totally destroying small businesses and giving you know the big businesses a massive advantage because the big businesses on the World Economic Forum side they want that con total control grid. They want the digital currency, central bank digital currencies. They want to have you know everyone enslaved and their customers. They don't want competition. So I, I think like the, the only way out on enslavement 
uh, is, you know, going with cryptocurrencies and using it as a medium of exchange and getting off the grid of, of the monetary enslavement grid that is fiat currencies. Yeah. And so, <clears throat> I mean, kind of like shifting gears, but it's still really not really shifting gears too much, but, you know, getting into the inflation side of things, we've got, you know, China has, you know, just reporting like record numbers inflation over there, the highest producer inflation in over 12 years, highlights global price pressures. And uh, yeah, their price producer index is at nine. And that's, you know, even with whatever rigged numbers that they're it's using over there. It's trickling into the economy. I'm seeing copper prices. I, I work with copper wire a lot. Tons of copper wire prices. Our uh, building side, our commercial builder, building company, they have like uh, prices have gone up like over a thousand percent here in Canada for a lot of their lumber uh, that they're looking yeah, at. Pressure treated wood is like near impossible to get by. Uh, and you're seeing uh, inflation in the stores. I've seen here in Canada, I've seen uh, inflation has jumped probably like 5%. And a lot of shortages of, of goods, like a lot of shortages. Yeah. I mean, China now, I heard they're going to have different oh, price time. controls and the price controls are just going to lead to shortages. I mean, even, I mean, I recently yeah. had mentioned I bought an RV and a lot of the different parts, like you go on and try to find different like leveling blocks, all sold out from Amazon, try to buy, I lost a spring bar last week. Oh, those are sold out everywhere in like a month or two delay. A lot of like yeah. a lot of the components uh, of different things because there's so many people looking to get into that and buying, you know, different types of hard assets that, uh, you know, just just and I'm sure people that are into computers, different chip shortages going on over there. This is shortages that Klaus warned us about, Tim. We should bow down. Well, to. you own nothing because, you know, it will have price controls and everything yeah. will be gone. So that's why you're going to own nothing. But market bull list inflation as top risk warns investors may get a wake up call this summer and so who is this guy i think it's uh federated hermes phil orlando investors may get a wake-up call and yeah they're gonna get a wake-up call because uh i mean <laughs> funny the wake-up call and we've got you know labor shortages going on i think i saw an article yesterday from zero hedge that actually talked about how they couldn't even find like strippers and they actually had a uh a sign from like little darlings in vegas where it said you know stripper shortage now hire now interviewing oh, you see it everywhere tim now like, it was now interviewing hey, yeah. cut me off right before the punchline of saying now interviewing ugly girls you know because it was for <laughs> so, so there you go cut me off right get, from the, you're gonna get yourself bad now from youtube tim. i'm on. gonna get myself uh canceled so there goes you know the three different women that watch us here have just offended all yeah, no, uh, but anyways like you see that everywhere actually tim like everywhere in manitoba too there's lots of shortages like even we're, we're running on 10 percent of our labor right now of allowed you know, occupation in the businesses so people that can go into the businesses running on 10%. And we still have signs up everywhere of people looking for labor because everybody's on those programs. You know, it's like I was talking about being approached by LinkedIn. You know, nobody was on the other side understanding that there's uh, all this inflation and, you know, that uh, the shutdowns of the economy and the government is to blame for everything. Uh, but yeah, no, it's, uh, the, it, it's good times. You know, everybody's getting free money from the, from the government here in Canada. They got rid of the big program, but now they have a lesser program that it's not too, too far away from minimum wage. So people are like, Hey, you know what? I'll, I'll rather stay at home. You know, I, I got all my, I got moratoriums on my mortgages and all my debt. I'm not paying any of that. So I'm storing that up. And, uh, you know, it's pretty good times right now for the next while until the government chooses not to do it, but I don't think they ever will. Uh, and so we're, we're just heading for like, this is basically like the, the UBI in uh, all kinds of forums around the world right now. 
where you see the that's one of the major reasons for the labor shortage. Uh, like all this free currency that have been you know uh, given to people and nobody's traveling, so everybody got a lot more money to spend because they're locked up in their homes, and, and so it's a lot easier. You know, like that's just the way the world works, Tim, isn't it? Yes, and we've got uh, you know proof that <clears throat> global inflation is surging. Another article out of Fee. So what's that? The Foundation for Economic. Uh, I forgot what the other E stands for. Uh, but anyways, you know, pretty reputable. Oh, it says right up top, Foundation for Economic Education. And uh, yeah, basically, I mean, the article is going on to say that we've got, you know, more and more inflation that's coming. Around, oh, there's some guy that's, uh, I think I've actually met this guy before. Okay. Uh, so we've got gas is going to $5 a gallon. So, you know, a great yeah. time for me to buy my uh, first, you know, really large SUV. I uh, filling that up today for like 80 bucks, but, uh, and then you also mean a hey, lot five, of the, five bucks a gallon is nothing. Go to Norway. You'll pay like three. It'd be like, let's see now 12 bucks a gallon in Norway. Yeah. Now is that because of different taxes they have levied down there or, uh, Oh yeah, of course they have like an insane amount of taxes on it. Uh, Norway has like 85% taxes on their gas. Yeah. So we've got, you know, obviously California is already, you know, uh, going to five bucks. Uh, I think it was 319 here in Arizona. Um, and you know what's interesting, Tim? One point that I want to point out is like all these heavily populated areas, because all this currency is gathering in those areas, inflation gets a lot higher in cities and, and, and towns because all the money floods, the currency floods into, you know, those local, uh, local communities, isn't it? Like, I don't know if you agree with that or not. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, things, I mean, on top of other, taxation. Yeah. I mean, some of, I mean, some of the other things that, um, when one of the other big themes that we didn't talk about is the fed now is pretending that they can start winding down their secondary corporate credit bailout fund. Uh, and of course, you know, one of the biggest, you know, probably recipients of that fund was going to be BlackRock because BlackRock was the one that was, you know, taking junk bonds and uh, moving it off their balance sheet onto the feds, oh, directly buying news. up ETFs. And breaking news, Tim. Okay, sorry what... to interrupt. So, okay, so uh, shit is really starting to happen. You know, we talked about the repo rates. I, I just remembered I needed to look up the repo, uh, the reverse repos that are going on, and they just broke five hundred billion dollars. Uh, in the reverse repos, Tim. And if we go to my stats uh, over here, uh, let's see now, where is my stats? They're, they're right here. You got the F Federal Reserve reverse repos. And, and just to like show people the reverse repos back in March, when we really had that big collapse in 2020, right, Tim? Uh, they were at the peak 284.90 uh, billion. Well, now they've gotten to they were 497 yesterday but now they're 502.9 so that's the breaking news actually that uh the uh First federal reserves ever. repos had just broken 500 billion there's a, starting to get a lot of talk about it online uh with a lot of economists that i follow and it just broke 500 and now there were uh, an uh, insane amount of participants too uh let's see here there were 59 so it's actually a record uh, of participants as well, because the highest ever participant, no, sorry, the not a record, but a record for uh, so far to this time, because the record was 54, but now it's at 59 today. So more and more, more, and more uh, banks and, and funds are tapping into the reverse repo program, Tim.
So yeah, and now they're talking about basically cutting out, you know, the whole primary dealers and basically just having the Fed be the ones who, you know, issue all the debt, uh, you know, to begin with and cut out the middleman. And, uh, and you know, getting back to, uh, you know, this corporate credit facility, you know, BlackRock was the one that were sort of the middleman in all this, you know, acting as the broker. But, you know, BlackRock yeah. now just wants to come out and talk about how woke they are and how they got these huge, you know, ESG, you know, funds. Uh, because you know everything now has to be environmentally sustainable, but you know these yeah, guys comes from the US. give two shits about being environmentally sustainable. It's all about you know if we can do optics, because even uh, you know different types of like lithium. And and this past weekend, I mean, I was off grid where I had you know between me and my family had you know 30 gallons of water that I had for the entire you know basically four or five days I was gone. Had you know solar power, and I, mean, I was using a little bit of generator, but uh, it wasn't even that much. I mean, it probably went to like three or four gallons. And you know, one time sustainability i mean i was being a lot more sustainable than you know half these liberals out here fake liberals that wanted to be, no probably way more than half uh you know i'm sure how many other people only went through 30 gallons of water through four people i mean i bet not very many uh i'm sure probably not elon musk with a stupid fucking rocket company that's oh we want to be you know, you know we can't use bitcoin because it's uh, bad for the environment and then I'm going to be launching rockets and blanketing the earth and Starlink, you know, satellites that I'm sure will have some sort of, you know, environmental cost to doing, you know, putting rockets up in the air. Um, but yeah, I've been mean, getting back to Larry Fink, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's all about, and that was one of, and that was actually one of the theories I had was that Larry Fink, you know, gave a phone call to Elon was like, Hey, we need you to go, uh, you know, quit all of your, uh, you know, pop propping up a Bitcoin because it's messing with the traditional, financial system now that's my only you know speculation i don't know that 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 happened but you know when you've got nine trillion dollars that you manage uh you know larry fink obviously you know carries around you know oh, wheels. jamie jamie might have been mad too yeah wields yeah he wields uh, a lot of power and so and yeah. and you know if it wasn't for the fed coming in and buying up uh you know personally i think the the uh you know the coronavirus the whole thing was there to basically have a bailout for uh both so, yeah. the sovereign debts uh we I mean we john and i've been reporting on you know the repo markets blowing up you know going back to september 17th 20 was it 2018 or 20 uh, 2018 i believe then it's you know whether it was uh you know the first time the fed tried to sell 50 billion dollars of bonds a month which was october of 2018 they had to reverse course on that within two months and start actually, you know, buying up bonds again instead of selling them. And then this was the excuse that nobody cares. I mean, Trump didn't give a shit. Uh, all of Trump's voters didn't give a shit. I mean, because now we're in a pandemic and we can do whatever we want to do. We can not let a crisis go to waste, as Ron Emanuel would say. And uh, and it's really disgusting what they've been able to get away with. And absent, you know, there's basically this bank robbery that occurred the past year. Uh, we probably would see, you know, maybe a S&P 500 that was down 70%. And speaking of the S&P, we've got you know, like the PE ratios on, the, on that is coming in somewhere around like 44 last time I checked when historically the average is, is closer to like 15 to 16, uh, meaning that basically you could have the S&P getting cut down by two thirds and you'd still end up having, you know, uh, you know, at that point, like a fairly valued S&P. And I'm trying to pull up those numbers right now as I talk. And so, yeah, I, yeah. I, what did I say? 45. It was, yeah, 44.96. So, I mean, there you go. The S I mean, how many other times in history has it even been this high? I mean, even in uh, 1929, it wasn't even this high. I mean, basically, you got to go to, uh, you know, the depths of the crash of, you know, 
March, April, May of 2009, when companies weren't even earning earning any money. So, you know, if you're not earning any money, then, you know, the E portion of that is going to be, you know, basically, uh, you know, to infinity. And so aside from that, I mean, dot com bubble, I mean, just eyeballing this, I mean, we're basically yeah, we like a, one, we're like one notch higher than the dot com look like just eyeballing at like a 43, 44. Right now we're at 44.96. But if your denominator is in dollars and those dollars are losing value, then that's something that is very hard to model in how this is going to shake out. But in any like, and I've seen other articles too, where, you know, they have all the, the major banks are having all these different, uh, you know, different stress test ratios and historical valuation models that they use. And a lot of them are, are showing that now is like one of the most overvalued markets of, of all time. And so either of these companies, and then what's going to happen when, okay, well now companies need to sell products of stuff that they don't even have because there's shortages everywhere. And then people can't even, uh, you know, don't even want to go to work because they have at least till September of not even having to work, um, you know, with, with getting all the different, you know, UBI and unemployment. But what was that your point up, John? No, they, uh, oh, that was the uh, repo rate. So like what, what you saw there was the actual reverse repo, uh, interventions. And as you could see, like the, uh, uh, if you want to, I could pull it back up again. Uh, just one second here. Yeah, we've got uh, job openings are soaring to all time highs. 9.3 million uh, is basically is a record amount of people quit their job. So there's 9.3 million job openings right now, which is so crazy uh, when you think about you know what really just transpired the past year. And people are like, oh, the people that are graduating in this economy have the worst, you know, worst time of it ever. Well, you know, I'd argue that, you know, when I graduated in 2008, it was actually worse than what's going on now, because, you know, at least now, 2008, they weren't paying you to stay home to not work. Uh, and there weren't jobs aplenty, whereas now there's jobs aplenty. And yeah. but you don't have to get a job because you can just stay home and not get paid. So, uh, yeah, so things are, you know, absolute craziness. And uh, all right, what you got for us, John? Yeah, so this is here. Like as you can see, this is the reverse repo. So actually, the the red is the participants, but let me let's take away that. And as you can see here, this just passed over. Like yesterday, it was four hundred ninety-seven, and now now it's five hundred. And here's the blip of the to, uh, the March crisis. Remember, we were we me and Tim did a lot of uh, reporting around that time, uh, talking about the crisis back in twenty twenty. And as you can see, it, it becomes very small and. And insignificant. I wonder how high will go on the reverse repo here. Uh, it's going to be very interesting to watch uh, before things start to like start cracking. Uh, there's a lot of like when you watch the markets, there's a lot of like flattening uh, of the curves right now. Uh, a lot of uncertainty. So you never know where this is. Gonna... You say flat flatten the curve. Is it going to be a 15-day curve flattening, or well, we gonna we got the Fed is gonna try to flatten their uh, exponential curve that they created of uh, their balance sheet. Uh, you know, the it looked like what happened last time they tried to flatten it down. Tim, you know, went from uh, what was it, 4.7 to 4.4 trillion, and then skyrocketed. Uh, now it's close to 8 trillion, and uh, yeah, they, they just have no uh, no understanding. I, but I do think what you said though that. This whole COVID thing is basically covered because what was interesting, the first discovered COVID case in Wuhan was on September 17th, 2019, Tim. And that's exactly the same time uh, the repo crisis uh, started, uh, you know, with the first repo intervention. I, I remember back in 2017 and that, of course, trickled and went into the March uh, 
uh, you know, so-called lockdown. But then uh, I believe like it was a perfect way to bail out the big corporations, as we we said again, and uh, and uh, just take away, you know, and destroy small businesses and then make more people slave to the big control grid. Yeah. And then we've got, you know, uh, you know, speaking of, you know, the first cases of COVID, you've got, you know, China that's basically now coming out and threatening nuclear war. If uh, anyone, you know, dare ask, you know, where the origin story of COVID came. I saw there's other articles where they're saying that, you know, the U.S., you know, blaming yeah. China for COVID is, you know, equivalent to all the you know WMDs in Iraq. Uh, but, you know, they're certainly going to be using this to get whatever they want to get done. And what they want to get done is the complete enslavement of humanity. And then we have central banks, you know, also saying like, oh, we should have climate change as part of our, uh, you know, one of the, the planks and mandates that they have. And it seemed like Jerome Powell was pushing back on that. Uh, you've got global taxes now. So it sounds like they want to have at least some sort of like 15 well, percent. They're trying. Good luck with like that ever working like they're just it's like and then they then i saw that they were going to like maybe exempt amazon from that so uh and then we got you know jeff bezos also uh i'm not sure if you guys saw this but jeff bezos now is uh, going to be going into blue origin uh going to be on like their first rocket you know orbital launch uh up in space and then sir richard branson to not he might be, be blown out, up yeah well then to not be outdone by bezos now Richard Branson goes, no, I want to be the first. What is Elon? Elon, come on. No, no. Come so on, now, well, so Get now he's, well, so Elon wants to wait to another, like a bunch of test dummies are out there first before he straps up and does something like that. But now Richard Branson's like, okay, you're going to do yours on July 20th. Well, maybe we'll do ours on July 4th. And so now he's trying to ramp up his. It's the modern day to... space race, isn't it? Yeah. So it's these different billionaires. Private. Yeah. Too. Uh, was it Elon and BitMEX are in a space race to put the first cryptocurrency on the moon or something? They want to establish some sort of crypto infrastructure outside of the Earth and uh, BitMEX. So that way, so that way, Bitcoin, so that way, Bitcoin can literally go to the moon. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's their plan. <laughs> Maybe they should have some sort of like ICO for that, where they can, uh, you know, fund rockets going to space on a uh, on an ICO and. Then, I'm, well, I'm they're, half kidding they're, on that, but the article was it, it was uh, they they interjected all this climate stuff. They were saying like, oh, the reason why we're doing this is because there there may be harsh policies on crypto mining where it it'll be too bad for the environment to mine on Earth. So we're preemptively creating crypto infrastructure outside of the planet so we can still mine after we push all of our environmental bullshit on you is like what they're setting up for. Yeah, and I mean and they're talking about uh what like some like 3 trillion dollar uh global let's, let's say uh, the I the IEA outlines 3 trillion green recovery plan for world leaders to help fix the global economy. So this is all about sustainability. And and the thing is like these guys like Larry Fink, they just want these like big handouts of, Oh, we're going to, you know, we've got this fund and then you've got trillions of dollars that you can print out of thin air. And then we'll have our fund find a way to make like one to 2%, you know, fees off your trillions of dollars. And then it's, you know, all this free money. And so I don't think for one second that these guys actually care about sustainability. I mean, the whole electric car thing isn't really even that sustainable from, you know, take a look at how you get lithium ion batteries, the lifespan of those yeah, batteries. And, uh, uh, how about getting rid of them, first of all, and, and recycling them back again? Like nobody, it doesn't seem like a lot of people have thought about like, okay, in about 10, 15 like years. Like the entire life cycle. Fucking shitload of batteries. 
windmill when the wings on windmills that's supposed to be this big revolutionary green energy thing them wings have to get replaced all the time and then they have to go to a like they have to be disposed of and they're just they're just being piled up somewhere. and then don't they need like oil for the wings or some sort of like lubricant or something that they oh, like if yeah, there's some sort of oil to. in the middle they... oh what is it no they, they use so many gallons of helicopter fuel to defrost the wings of a green energy windmill because they, yeah. they put them up in a cold climate. And then and all the fun. birds, and all the birds that die. And then even there's this huge, and this is crazy. So Josh and I were driving by this um, when we were supposed to be going to Jerry Griffin's, but when we were coming back and out in, it's like right in the Nevada, California border somewhere. That's Google, yeah, Google solar plants, right? It's, there's this huge, it's like one of the world's largest like solar fields, but then they have like these like crystal things that come up from it where they've got like, all these solar panels that then refract into this like gigantic crystal yeah. that has some other and it it's yeah, so they heat crazy up the, they heat up the uh the salt in the tower and then and, actually that runs a turbine that's what and I, then like that and then that apparently is like this like holocaust of birds that die from this thing where they like fly in the middle of this and get like instantly like, like incinerated uh, Razor Dog walks right, Chetty walks right in the background of that. <laughs> Sorry, Chetty, we're not talking about incinerating you. Uh, I forgot what this thing was called. Uh, you know, so if you guys want to go on and talk about something, I'm going to go find this picture. It's like Soar, Power. Yeah, it's it's pretty uh, crazy. Nevada. They actually had the first one was in oh. Spain, uh, by the way, the first uh, one of those towers. It, it basically uses the extreme amount of uh, hot energy that, you know, these solar reflectors create on the tower. Then it actually runs a turbine inside. Uh, like I think there's like a um, uh, what do you call some uh, salt sludge or something that heats up and then like uh, it starts to turn into gas and then like basically runs fast through this turbine. And I, th I think that's how they generate the energy with those solar towers. I forgot what the what it's actually called now though. Uh, it's, it's a yeah. Here's a, it's three hundred thousand of these computer controlled mirrors. Oh, they're mirrors. Uh, yeah. Each about seven feet high, ten feet wide, to reflect sunlight to boilers that sit on a 459-foot tower. The sun's power is used to heat the water in the boilers, tubes, and make steam, which in turn drives yeah. turbines to create electric. Yeah, this see is how much prim. I'm pretty impressed by myself here. Uh, see, it can produce 400 megawatts, enough power for 140,000 homes. It began making electricity last year, but this was uh, 2004. 14 uh picture uh so yeah so th this thing like driving by and like not knowing that i was going by this thing and all of a sudden you're like looking out and you're like what the hell is that but like these crazy like crystals actually here's a better picture of it for uh i, I always want to say readers because of cash daddies but uh so here's here's the better here's another picture yeah, of this right here and it's just and yeah it's, it's just crazy bright i i talked to kingsley was it when we drove by them last time and he said that some days it's so bright that you can't almost see, like when you drive on the road, because hours <laughs> apparently. Well, it's definitely like an eye catcher. I mean, you look at that thing, yeah. you're like, "Holy crap! Look at all the stuff that's going on." But, uh, but I don't know. Did you guys have anything else you wanted to add? Because I've got a, I've got a meeting that starts in ten minutes. Well, actually, so gonna... uh, actually, I, I got just one thing talking about, you know. I was hoping to say no, but okay, okay, no. Yeah, <laughs> sustainability. You got battle brews over banning natural gas to home. So of course, California is trying to do this. There's lots of cities. Here, here in Manitoba, for example, all our heating, ninety-five percent of the heating, I dare to say, is. Uh, natural gas so that yeah that worked pretty good in a place where there's minus a uh, minus 45 in winter time in the celsius uh you know to just ban the number one heat source yeah that, that works pretty good let's just get rid of 
uh, all these fossil fuels and everything that actually runs our car. You know, if you ban all this stuff, like nobody's thought about like, okay, how are we going to replace it uh, with more sustainable things? Like they're banning plastic bags. You know, it, it's hilarious. Go to the store. Ban plastic, plastic bags, bags so and then make uh, 20 billion Paper fucking masks for everybody to wear. Oh, we're going to ban, we're gonna ban straws in California, but, you know, don't worry because we're going to, you know, replace all the straws that were. Well, it's you know, paper straws, but they're million... cutting down trees. They're cutting down trees to make those paper straws and paper bags. Like, how fucking stupid can you be? Like, talking about sustainability. Like cutting down the only thing restaurant. that actually takes CO2 out of the atmosphere. Sorry, Tim. I remember the first time I went to a restaurant in California and it was like a, a nicer place and all of a sudden, uh, you know, I'm looking at a straw and it's like basically like disintegrating in my mouth. I'm like, what the hell is this? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's that's where you go with things. But, uh, you know, I do have to, as Sam would say, I got a jam uh, here. So, you know, I appreciate, you know, Arthur, Arthur Diamond Hands being here and for everything he does for the show. Appreciate uh, John Snyson. You guys can find him at theeconomictruth.org. Uh, you can find Arthur Diamond Hands on, on Float, also on the Discord as well. You can find John there as well. And then uh, me, you can find me uh, temporarily right now at thelibertyadvisor.com. And uh, you know, anything else you guys want to add in, in parting as we uh, wrap up show number 41? No, I, I think we talked about uh, the most uh, important things. And uh, I think we're just in for a lot more craziness. Like, just wait. Like, uh, we got our COVID passports here in Manitoba uh, coming slowly. And then they're going to give us access. Yeah, I see to they're going to open up, uh, open up the border maybe on the 22nd of June for vaccinated people can now get into Canada. So that's, you know. Yeah, so, like, uh, first thing I said, how can I get my fake vaccinated passport? Please right now? Uh, go on YouTube underneath a comment and, and put your email and home address. So <laughs> that way, uh, you know, the Anyways. Canadian Mounties can come to your house and arrest you with john saying this publicly canadian but, thugs you uh, thugs get get out of here is, my are, door. is that them knocking on your door right now I, a little uh is that the boot i got guard dogs them? haven't you seen like teddy is a, he's a big boy you know like he's pretty wishes so your you don't want to come to my house weight of, your combined weight of like 35 pounds of guard dogs i'm not sure how much uh it was a little ankle uh, I got, uh, Haley is 55 so she's pretty pretty good but the other ones are like 10 pounds so they can pack a punch per uh, per pound, though. They got a pretty good biting jaw. I've been bitten many times by the little boy. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Anyways, so thank you guys so much for, for tuning in. This was obviously a jam-packed episode of lots of different things to talk about. Uh, you guys can find us on uh, – where you can find us? Find us on BitChute. Find us on Library slash Odyssey. Find us on, obviously, the podcast download. You know, we're super close to getting 3,000 uh, YouTube subscribers. Might already be there. I think we only need, like, 30. So if you guys are watching this on YouTube, listening, you know, please just hit the subscribe button. We're almost at 3,000. But, you know, even better yet, find us on the alternative platforms. Subscribe to the email list. Subscribe to us on the podcast. And we are out of here. So thank you guys very much for uh, for being part of the show and for listening. And see you guys later. Arrivederci.